Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day. And in this series, we are exploring the church's stance on LGBTQ issues. This has been a pressing conversation for some time, and we believe it is only growing more important that believers and church leaders engage in this conversation with both love and wisdom. There are many questions that Christians are wrestling with, including what does it mean to love someone in the LGBTQ community while not compromising what the Bible says? Can someone be both gay and Christian? Should we use someone's preferred pronouns? And how can pastors best address these topics with care from the pulpit? We'll explore questions like these from multiple angles, theological, academic, cultural, and social. We'll also hear from the local pastor's perspective. Our guests are more than experts. For some of them, this conversation is extremely personal. We hope that this series will be informative and will help you navigate this challenging area of life and ministry with wisdom, with grace, and with love. And now, let me introduce you to this week's guest. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. I had the opportunity to sit down with Caleb Kaltenbach for today's conversation. Caleb is a pastor and founder of the Messy Grace Group, where he helps churches love and foster community with LGBTQ individuals without sacrificing theological convictions. Caleb is the author of several books, including Messy Grace, where he discusses being raised in the LGBTQ community, following Jesus, and how loving others doesn't require shifting beliefs. His latest book, which is scheduled to release in the summer of 2021, is entitled Messy Truth. Now, in this episode, Caleb and I dig into the practical aspects of ministry with the LGBTQ community, from preaching to serving as volunteers, to questions about the culture wars, to making space so Jesus can work. Caleb shares stories from the trenches of ministering to and journeying with LGBTQ individuals as they embrace Jesus. We talk about some of the significant cultural shifts related to the LGBTQ community, what can be expected in the future, and how we as the church can make a lasting impact for Jesus. Caleb also has a free resource available regarding the Equality Act, so be sure to stick around for details on that. It's such a a practical and informative episode. You're going to want to share this with all of your ministry leaders. So now let's dive right into my conversation with Caleb Kaltenbach. Caleb, welcome back to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us again. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great being here. Yeah. Now, as ministry leaders, we all have unique backgrounds that God beautifully, he, he takes, he shapes, and he uses for the kingdom. And for those who may not know your story, Caleb, can you give us a peek into your experience growing up and how that has impacted your ministry as a pastor and as one who consults and coaches and helps pastors and churches today? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my parents were both uh, professors at the University of Missouri when I was two. They got divorced. My mother moved to Kansas City. And after my parents divorced, my, um, my mom and dad both went into same-sex relationships. And so my whole childhood, I was raised in the LGBTQ community. Uh, my mother had a monogamous partner for 22 years until her partner died from cancer. But my dad was always more in the closet and never had one monogamous partner. And uh, throughout my childhood, as I was raised in the LGBTQ community, I saw the way that some Christians or some people who profess to be Christian treated them. And, uh, and it was just uh, horrible. And I learned this real quick um, from my parents that uh, if you are not like Christians, they will not like you. And that's kind of the whole mantra of, of growing up. I remember when I was in high school, I, I joined a Bible study to try to disprove uh, Christianity, which worked <laughs> out real well. It was a great plan. And uh, I ended up following Jesus instead and ended up becoming a pastor. Um, it was funny. After I became a Christian backing up, I had to come out to my three gay parents. And uh. they ended up kicking me out as a result. It, it was funny, but they also... Um, it, it, it was funny and ironic that they did react that way because that gave me an inroad to talk to in the future LGBTQ students who got kicked out by their conservative cultural fundamentalist parents. And for me to be able to say, hey, you know, you've got to forgive. We naturally fear whatever it is we don't understand or whatever makes us feel threatened. Um, and so that's that's been able to uh, provide a, a real ministry there. But uh, dude, what's so cool is that um, my parents at the ages of 69, 70 finally came to the Lord. They accepted wow. Jesus. And so that's what I've dedicated my life to right now is helping uh, leaders and churches and just really even regular individuals walk in that tension of grace and truth and love people without sacrificing their theological convictions. Uh, that, that's an awesome story, Caleb, and and uh, I, I know that you've had the opportunity as as a pastor to um, really engage with the LGBTQ community, and um, and now you're you're helping many many other churches and ministries do that as well. Super powerful. And last time we talked um, that you were on the podcast was five or six years ago, but in that time, it doesn't seem like super long ago, <laughs> but in that time, many many things have changed. Um, when it comes to cultural trends and beliefs about LGBTQ topics. And so um, talk to us a little about, Caleb, like what, what have been some of the major shifts, um, even in that short amount of time over the last five or six years that you've seen? Over the last five or six years, one of the largest shifts that I've seen, Jason, is this increased um, uh, focus on identity. I think that identity has always been uh, something that humanity has struggled with ever since Genesis 3. I mean, when Satan tempted Eve, what's the very first thing, you know, he went after was Eve, Eve's and Adam's identity, right. you know, saying, hey, go ahead and um, eat, the, eat the fruit. You'll be just like God, you right. know, and so I think that ever since the beginning, we have struggled with our identity, and uh, so I think it's, it's no accident that right now, um, all the conversations we're having about sexuality, all the conversations we're having about uh, gender identity, sexual orientation, um, uh, people allowing their politics to influence their faith instead of the other way around, people devaluing uh, human life. Um, I, I don't think that it's any coincidence that all of this goes back to 
identity and how we view ourselves versus how we view God. So um, in the one sense, uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which there has been a bigger shift in identity and a bigger shift in whatever makes you feel good, you know, do it. What right. we would call, if you remember the early 2000s, more, more postmodern thought is definitely more modern thought more than <laughs> anything else right now. Uh, so that's one aspect. Um, another aspect, what, what's interesting, even within the ever-growing LGBTQ plus acronym, which I think it's something like LGBTQQIAA, <laughs> and it just keeps on going, um, is that is that all of these uh, uh, letters that represent sexual minorities, um, a lot of them don't seem to get along. There's not solidarity as well. Mm. So there's this big push, um, you know, towards uh, agreement with and approval of all things LGBTQ, but then there's not even agreement with and approval on the inside. And so um, some of that has been very, very revealing, especially over the past year. Um, and then I'd say the very last thing that I've noticed over the past five years, uh, years and really more over the last year than anything, just the, the interesting uh, phenomenon of uh, connecting uh, race and sexuality together. And you see that happening more and more. And so uh, those are some things that, that uh, are, are new since we last talked uh, besides everything else in the world and Thanos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, Caleb, so I don't want to force you to put on, you know, your, your, your prophet hat, but um, what do you anticipate um, changing over the next maybe five to 10 years? I mean, wh- where do you see things going? I think that um, our conversations about sexuality are going to continue. I think we're still going to be talking about identity I think that um, what's interesting is I think that um, same-sex marriage will continue to be a dividing issue amongst Christians, um, kind of like abortion is. You kind of have 50-50. Of course, all the different polls on on same-sex marriage, you know, they show something like 60% of people agreeing, 40% disagreeing. But the way I look at it, Jason, and I'm sure you can probably follow me here, that um, I've found um, an increasing number of people that will have both a theological view and a civil view on one issue. So when it comes to something like same-sex marriage, there are people who might say, well, it's legal, so I believe that they should have the right to get married in the civil square if they want to. But my personal theological view is that God designed sex to be expressed in marriage between one man and one woman. And so I think that um, more and more uh, Christians are being forced to uh, walk, to acknowledge and walk in the nuance of uh, the intersection of sexuality and faith, of this tension of grace and truth, especially when they have loved ones uh, come out to them. Um, my wife is a Christian counselor uh, out here in Southern California. And throughout last year during the quarantine, it was really, really interesting. And I, and I definitely see some of that, and I'm sure you do too, happening right now. Um, Early on in the quarantine, when she was like, I'd say April, May, after we'd been locked down a couple months, especially here in California, she started saying things like, well, you know, more and more of my teenage, and she doesn't say who, she didn't give details, she just said, more and more of the students or teenagers I see are coming out. More and more of them Mm. are learning uh, uh, 
you know, more things about their sexuality during this quarantine that they said that they never saw before. And she said, I think we're going to see more and more students and more and more individuals come out as the quarantine begins to wind down and so on and so forth. She said, because I'm just seeing a lot of this ramp up right now. And I think we're starting to see that right now. Hmm. Um, I think there's an, and I'm not sure what the connecting point is, but there's an interesting connecting point with the quarantine and the amount of students, especially who are coming out, who are questioning their sexuality or maybe even questioning their gender identity. I don't know if that makes sense at all or not, but yeah. I think that that is going to unfold over the next uh, five years. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, so, so Caleb, what changes either positive or negative have you seen in how the church um, engages with the LGBT community? And, and then also not, not just how they engage with the LGBTQ community, but then um, how, you know, what, what changes have you seen when it comes to them engaging in conversations kind of about that community? So directly, yeah. you know, working with the community, but then how, how are churches talking about that community? Well, I think, I think um, I've seen a lot of really, really good changes. Um, and of course it's easier to focus on the negative. It seems like mm-hmm. our human minds, because of our sinful nature, naturally gravitate towards the negative. So that right. there are plenty of examples of churches that have uh, shifted in their theological uh, thinking, um, albeit, I think, in an effort to honor LGBTQ individuals, but it always goes really, really poorly for their church at the same time and, and their body. I don't think that there's uh, been too many healthy examples of a church transitioning to being a, uh, affirming or that kind of a thing where it hasn't hurt the church, but on the positive end, uh, with a lot of the churches I've worked with, I've noticed that a lot of churches, number one, they're asking different questions than they were five years ago, Jason. Hmm. Um, you know, um, you know, five years ago, when it comes to engaging LGBTQ people, they were asking questions like, um, what's at stake if we do engage LGBTQ people? Now they're asking, what's at stake if we don't? engage LGBTQ oh, yeah. people. Yeah. And so there's been a real shift there. Um, and they, and I think that they realize that um, accepting an agreement are two different things. In other words, you, you know, people can attend and you can love them for who they are in the moment. You can accept them, but that doesn't mean that you have to agree uh, with everything uh, that they believe. And I've, and I've found a number of um, LGBTQ individuals, especially LGBTQ millennials, and even Gen Z who attend churches that are non-affirming. And when I talk to them about that and I ask them, why um, do you, you know, not like, why do you attend a church that is non-affirming? <laughs> it's more like out of all the churches you could choose from, why do you choose to attend a church that uh, is non-affirming? And I get answers like, well, if I go to a quote unquote gay church, they don't preach the gospel or, mm. you know, I don't have to agree with everything a church believes to attend. I just have to know there's a place for me, you know, and that they're willing to love me. Um, and, and I think that that's, that that's really, really interesting that, that, you know, you have uh, younger people who relate or identify as LGBTQ who say, I don't have to agree with everything a church believes to attend. I just need to know there's a place for me. And so a lot of churches are asking questions about, you know, how, you know, can we get them um, more involved in uh, serving so that they can have more uh, exposure to people, build more relationships? 
then that usually leads to um, uh, individuals uh, coming to Christ because nobody's going to leave one community and make the church their primary community if they don't feel safe there and comfortable there. And so a lot of churches are asking questions like, um, where can they serve? How can we um, get LGBTQ people involved? What do the letters all mean? Um, so th those are, I mean, just some yeah. really, really good questions from churches, uh, I think have really paved the way to uh, empathy without sacrificing uh, their beliefs or values. Excellent, excellent. There, there are several things that you mentioned there that I kind of want to dive into, but but let's just dive into the empathy question real quick because I think that's super important. You've you've written a lot, you've shared a lot, you've spoken a lot on the idea of love and empathy, both, and you know, really walking with someone else through their their joys and their sorrows can really impact right how we how we talk about the type of challenge that they might be facing. Um. How important, Caleb, do you think it is for pastors and ministry leaders to personally know a member of the LGBTQ community before they begin maybe preaching on sexuality or gender identity, those types of things? You know, how does that empathy, you know, relate to how we actually do ministry, how we begin talking and preaching about these types of things? I think it's uh, extremely important. Um, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with me on this, Jason, but personally, I would have a tough time listening to a pastor preach a sermon on tithing if that pastor weren't tithing. Right, right, right. Yep. You know, and I think about how many pastors do that. And uh, I think about how many pastors will preach on evangelism. They'll tell their people, hey, go out and share the gospel, be intentional about in your relationships and yet they're not they're not sharing the gospel with anyone they don't have anybody that they're investing in and inviting to church and that kind of a thing and so i think that it's real hard to preach on things if you don't have the moral authority to preach mm. on those things and the experience um, because without the experience you're not going to have the empathy because nobody is empathetic from a distance you only are empathetic up close i mean i think theologically a good theological argument could be made for the fact that God is the most empathetic being in the entire world, in the entire universe, in existence. I mean, if we define empathy, like Brene Brown said, to be uh, that empathy uh, is to feel with another person, or like uh, Reggie Joyner from Orange Rethink said, that empathy is the ability to put your own thoughts and feelings on pause long enough to think and feel with another person, then, I mean, God truly is the most empathetic being. I mean, he sent Jesus, Emmanuel, right. God with us, to be with us, to live with us, to walk with us, to live the life that we ne never could live, to die for us, arise for us, and he's coming back for us. So, um, And he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us until then. And so um, empathy is the acknowledgement of another person's reality. And mm. I think that, uh, you know, it's not rejecting the person, and it's not agreeing with their uh, relational decisions, opinions political convictions, uh, theological ideas, so on and so forth. It is simply acknowledging their reality and walking with them. Um, I don't think that you can walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, but I think you can walk miles next to someone. And I think that that's what empathy is. That's what Jesus did with us. And that's what we need to do with others. But I don't understand how you and I can preach on something um, without personalizing it, without 
putting a face to it. And the other thing is this, is that I do talk to uh, a lot of pastors and I can't tell you the number of pastors who will say, well, I don't have anyone in my congregation, you know, who is, who is gay or who's lesbian or experiencing gender dysphoria or same sex attracted. Mm-hmm. And I always laugh. I'm like, <laughs> okay, good one, bro. Or good one, sis, whatever yeah. you want to say, girl. Uh, I mean, you know, sister, because I mean, they are there just because you haven't heard doesn't mean they haven't come out to you. So they're there. And the more that we're able to um, get to know other people who are LGBTQ, the more that we develop a heart for them, the more that we see them as people, the more we see them as God sees them. And the more that we're going to be able to uh, preach a truthful message, just overflowing with grace. Yeah, that, that, that's good, Caleb. Now, now one of the things that um, we as humans kind of struggle with is we have a, a oftentimes we'll have a bit of a fear of that, which is unfamiliar to us. So this, this plays into this empathy conversation. And so um, there is uh, a, a fear of engaging with the LGBTQ community, perhaps, you know, a pastor might be experiencing that and, and wrestling through that. Well, will that come across as me, you know, condoning particular behavior or whatever it might be. Right. So there's that, there's that kind of tension. H- how do you encourage pastors, ministry leaders, uh, churches as a whole to kind of overcome some of those fears or some of those hesitations, some of those, you know, concerns uh, that, that may or may not be valid, right? But, but have to be processed in order for a church to really um, step in, begin to minister. Uh, because one of the challenges, Caleb, I think is that pastors and churches avoid ministering to an entire segment of, of their town or their city oftentimes because of uh, misunderstandings or fear and those types of things. So, so how would you help a, a church kind of process through that? Yeah. Well, first of all, if uh, there are churches that, you know, and pastors who are afraid of being seen as condoning um, uh, simple relational decisions or that kind of a thing, uh, I think number one, that probably means that they won't because they already have that, that concern there. Um, but the other thing is, is that um, you still need to get in there and get to know people. And if, if that's one thing stopping you, I think, uh, you know, you as a pastor need to realize that there are probably plenty of other things your congregation thinks that you condone already, um, you know, because they're involved in it, like gossip. Um, and, and I don't mean they think that, well, the pastor thinks I'm okay, you know, talking about this person or that person. <laughs> I just mean, um, I think it was either John Piper or Jerry Bridges, one of the two wrote a book not too long ago uh, called Respectable Sins, you know, the sins that we allow in church, the ones that we don't call out. Um, so we all have that, you know, so um, th- there, there are plenty of, of sins that need to be dealt with if we're worried about condoning. So there's that <laughs> right there. The other thing is, is that I understand like you said, like, um, you know, you just mentioned that there's a fear there. Um, and I think it's natural. Uh, and whenever we get afraid, um, you know, we either go into fight or flight mode. I mean, there's a reason why that's cliche. You know, one of the best uh, definitions of fear that I've ever heard is from Agatha Christie, uh, the mystery writer. She said that fear is incomplete knowledge. Mm. And I just thought, man, that that's, that's powerful. That's statement. Good. You know, a lot of pastors, 
you know, it'd be like, wow, wow, does she preach somewhere? That that's a great <laughs> bottom line, you know. Fear is incomplete knowledge. And so yeah, we fight or we fight or we become indifferent or combative. But I think that going back to the empathy thing is um, we need to lean in when we are mm. afraid instead of pulling away, uh, because the more we understand, uh, the more that we feel powerless, the more that we lean in, and the more that we trust God who knows all and is all powerful as we lean in. I think that we'll realize that the average person who is in a same-sex relationship um, they don't go to political LGBTQ rallies. They don't go to pride parades. Um, they are normal, everyday people who happen to be in same-sex relationships, who have kids, who go to work, who are worried about getting that raise, uh, who um, you know want everything to reopen so they can go see uh, movies or go see Black Widow or so on and so forth. <laughs> and I think that there's this idea out there that, well, you know, the LGBTQ community, you know, all people who are in same-sex relationships or all people who relate or identify as LGBTQ, you know, that they are uh, these extremists and they're not. Just like, Jason, you and I could, you know, we won't, but we could name all the extremists in the Christian community. They're also extremists over here. you know, even, you know, as of late with the equality bill, uh, there are plenty of people I know who are in same sex relationships or who agree with that, um, that do not agree with the Equality Act, hmm. you know, because it's overreaching in terms of its uh, uh, stance on uh, religious freedom of religious organizations. So all that to say, I think uh, that the, the less we assume about individuals, um, the easier it will be for us to get to know them, the more that we assume that they are probably not like the extremists, the more comfortable we'll feel uh, getting to know them. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that Caleb, that's huge. I, I mean, I love, I love you said, because it really talks about this, this idea of grace, right? I mean, if we stop for a second, just as you were, you were talking there, I was thinking through, you know, if we, if we consider that um, those who are part of the LGBT community, the, the average everyday man or woman, right who might be looking at the Christian community, for example. And if we were to, to, to think that they assume that every single person um, who follows Jesus is like some of these very, very extreme examples of people, if their assumption is that is everybody, you know, that, that, would, that would be very hard for us to accept, right? We'd be like, no, no, no. We want them to understand. No, no, no. We, we aren't like that. And, and we have those conversations. We, we write those, you know, blog posts whenever something happens in the news, you know, it's someone who's very extreme. And uh, so the same way, looking at, you know, thinking about um, other people who are in the LGBT community, we can't just automatically assume that those extremists that we see on the new, you know, in the news stories or whatever it might be are representative of all of them. You know, we, we just can't lump people in like that. And Jesus made it clear that we can't lump people in, you know, regardless of, of who they are. And, um, and I think that's a very helpful thing for us to keep in mind and an important conversation for uh, not only pastors and ministry leaders to, um, really kind of dig through, but also kind of communicate and remind the people God's entrusted to them, their flock, right? Um, that, you know, the eyes that we're looking through need to be the eyes of Christ. 
And what does that mean? Not as a cliche, but what does that really mean? You know, life on life. What does that mean um, to, to really be a church that is here and, and really seeking to reach people with the good news of, of Jesus? Absolutely. And that, and I, I totally agree with you. And that's why I say that five years ago, people were asking more of the question of, well, what's, um, what's at stake if we engage uh, LGBTQ individuals? Now more churches realize what's at stake and they're like, what's at stake if we don't engage, you know, and they're asking questions like that questions like um, how far am I willing to go to build and keep influence in the life of someone who relates or identifies as LGBTQ. Um, I think that's another important question. How far am I willing to go to build and keep influence in Mm. another person's life? Because like you said, um, that people are realizing that the, that the stakes are a lot higher. Um, and, and I think that when we uh, choose to be apathetic towards LGBTQ individuals or apathetic towards anyone for that matter, um, that, that's kind of a misappropriation of Christ's blood. That is kind of a misappropriation mm. of um, and a devaluing of his blood. If his blood was really shed for everyone so that everyone might have an opportunity to respond to the invitation. Um, may we never get in the mindset where we, um, even if it's unintentionally, are indifferent towards some people coming to Christ instead of everyone coming to Christ. Yeah, that's so good. That's excellent, Caleb. Love that. So let's um, continue kind of thinking through the role of a pastor in a local church um, who is who is coming to terms with, with what you've just talked about, this shift, you know, from, um, you know, what happens if we do versus, hey, you know, we, we're called in this time, in this place, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with all, right? Um, what does that all look like? So now we have this, you know, what happens if we don't? We're, we're a church who's, and we begin to, to make that shift. What does that practically look like? We talked a little bit about preaching, but, but I'd like to spend a little more time because you, as, as a pastor for many years, <laughs> week in, week out, you, you stay in front of uh, your congregation, you preach. And so when it comes to these topics and preaching, is it helpful to, to ever frame these issues in terms of culture war? We, we see a lot and, and hear a lot about this culture war. Is that, is that helpful? Is that appropriate? Or, or how can we best engage these topics? How can we best um, engage the LGBTQ community uh, with, with both grace and truth? And what does that really look like when it comes from, you know, really preaching and pastoring? Yeah, yeah, thank you. That, that's a great question. And I, and I would say this, is that we don't ever want to be people that participate in the culture war. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the times I think we can un- unknowingly and unintentionally start participating in the culture war. So we need to, to allow other people to speak into our lives and to say, hey, it looks like you might be going a bit too far over here. And I think we need to be able to listen to them. Um, but I think that, when, that there are a few things that will help us uh, to be able to kind of uh, see the importance of speaking on these topics, but also keep us out of the fray of the culture war. Um, because that's not what Jesus is interested in. He doesn't mm-hmm. care about the culture war that we care about in the same sense. So, I mean, I, I would say a few things about that. So number one, I would say this, that if we do not talk about difficult and challenging lightning rod topics in our church, we are quickly going to 
appear irrelevant because the people in our congregations are already having these conversations on a regular basis. They're seeing it in movies, they're seeing their favorite TV shows, they're, they're streaming, they're hearing it in songs, they're, they're hearing it on the news, so on and so forth. And so they're having these conversations. But a lot of times in church, we are afraid to have these conversations because we think that we will <clears throat> push people away. And while that is something that we should, keep in mind and we don't want to push people away at the same time if we never say anything about it or we'd only say a little bit about it then we will seem irrelevant because mm -hmm. we're not talking about the things that are relevant to society and what a great opening point so that's the first, first thing that i would say the second thing i would say is this is that we often talk about you know preaching the whole council of scripture um and we need to preach the whole council of scripture you know, from the pulpit or from the stage, which I agree with. But I think we, we've got to understand that, you know, we're called to preach the whole council of scripture within the church itself, not just in one place. There are many platforms in the church uh, by which we preach the whole council of scripture. And while we might talk about one aspect of, of sexuality on uh, during the weekend worship services, there might be other platforms that lend themselves better to go more in depth on some of these issues, like mm. small groups, for instance, um, seminars, a Bible fellowship, the churches do that, one-on-one -on -one conversations and so on. And so, uh, you know, we're limited on our time and uh, sometimes the depth that we can go during the weekend services, because we may have a lot of unchurched people or so on and so forth in our congregation, but there are so many different platforms within the church where we can go deeper. And I think a lot of times we forget that, that some of these conversations are, are, you know, the deeper elements of them are best had in small groups one-on-one. -on -one. And that's not because we're afraid of offending anyone. It's because think about all the emotional attachments hmm. that are connected to uh, sexuality, to LGBTQ. Even if somebody listening to you does not relate or identify as LGBTQ, I'm sure that they have a son or a daughter, a sibling, a parent, a coworker, a friend that they care about that do. And so, um, it, it's almost, it, it's so challenging to get up on stage and to, mm. you know, start to preach on this and to keep everybody's, you know, emotions in mind as you're preaching. So that, you know, not, not that it will cause you to lighten what you say. You should never lighten the gospel. You should be strategic about it. But man, that, that, I mean, this has become such a, a grenade, uh, type of conversation, um, Another thing that I would say to do is this, is that when we do talk about these subjects, um, they, they can often cause people to have animosity towards, quote unquote, the church or Christians. Um, and I always try to start with Jesus mm -hmm. when I have these conversations, because while there are a lot of people that might be mad at the church, that might be mad at Christians, they might even not like Paul. You know, the <laughs> Apostle Paul, I have yet to hear somebody say, well, I don't like Jesus. Like, mm -hmm. I've, I've really never heard that. So, you know, even people that don't believe in Jesus like him. And so I think that there's something to be said about um, starting, a, you know, a sermon or a topic that's very, very difficult, a cultural relevant topic with the words of Jesus, because people are more tuned in to what he has to say. Um, and so I think that allows us an inroad uh, when it comes to that. And as you said, I think another way that we can do really well uh, with preaching about the topics that are lightning rod issues, such as sexuality, 
um, is getting to know people, um, you know, who are uh, LGBTQ, uh, getting to know people who have had abortions or who are maybe even thinking about having abortions, uh, getting to know people who are trying to uh, kick that drug habit, getting to know individuals whose parents were immigrants or so on and so forth. And I'm not, I'm not saying all these people, you know, are, are alike or anything like that. I'm just trying to name different things in society that often split us. And the more that we get to know people, it doesn't mean that we have to shift our theological views, but it does mean that maybe we will approach it as you and I talked about earlier with more grace and truth. Yeah. Yeah. that, That, I think that's so helpful, Caleb. Um, Let's continue to dig in a little about what it means to kind of pastor a church and and in taking into consideration um, some of these practical challenges that we might have when we have LGBTQ individuals um, a part of the church. For example, and you mentioned this a little earlier on, finding a place for them to serve, like. Practically speaking, and, and I want to kind of get specific because I know there are a lot of pastors and ministry leaders who are trying to process through these ideas. Like, is it okay if there's someone who is, you know, uh, coping with gender dysphoria, you know, by presenting a gender different from, you know, their, their biological sex, their assigned sex, whatever. What, what does that look like for them? Should they be allowed to serve in the church? Um, should they be allowed to become a member of the like like where are some of the very kind of almost nitty gritty things that are are things that that we're thinking through and processing through how to incorporate them in the life of the church where are you know where are boundaries if boundaries need to be drawn um, do boundaries not need to be drawn what would it what would it really look like you know in the nitty gritty decisions that pastors have to have to make. I think that's a great question. I think part of that all begins with getting to know people Hmm. because when you get to know people, you are able to know about more about their life because somebody may introduce themselves as quote unquote gay to you um, or that they are a lesbian. But then when you get to know them, you find out that they are not in a relationship that they will not be in a relationship that they don't agree with that, that when they introduce themselves to you, that that is just part of how they relate you know, as LGBTQ. And so that is very different from somebody who comes to you and they are in a same sex relationship and they say, Hey, you know, I, I would love to serve, you know, me and my husband or me and my wife or so on and so forth. Um, that is very different than somebody who uh, has gender dysphoria or um, is, is transgender in some way who is trying to resolve the incongruity between their biological sex and their, and their sense of gender identity, they're trying to resolve that medically. And there are some who have gender dysphoria that um, will, will never take the hormones, will never ever mm-hmm. think about getting the reassignment surgery. Um, and so I think we, the more we get to know people, the more that we realize that, um, you know, while, while truth is definitely uh, uh, clear about you know, what sin is and what sin is not, as we get to know people, we'll realize that there's a lot of nuance in individuals, there's a lot of depth. And so the more that we have these conversations with people, the more that we find out about their lives, the more that we'll realize how to help them take their next step towards Jesus. Cause everybody has a next step that right. they need to take towards uh, following Jesus. And for some it's following Jesus for the first time. The second thing is this, is that 
it's important to get to know people, but it's important to, uh, as I've said more than once, not compromise your theological convictions, to hang on to what you believe theologically, okay? Because what we believe theologically is so important. It's, it's the cornerstone of this whole conversation. Um, and, and we can, and I, I personally believe that we should create places within churches where anybody can serve, even an atheist. Now, when I say serve, I don't mean being on an elder team or the elder <laughs> board or the deacon board. I'm not talking about that, but I mean, uh, even, even outreach teams to go into the community and to do things for people. A lot of churches have that. Um, there are countless stories of churches I know where uh, unchurched uh, individuals or unbelievers will call the church and they'll say, hey, I know you're doing things for the community. I don't go to your church. I'm not a Christian. Can I join one of your groups right. and go serve? They end up doing that and they actually end up coming to Jesus as a result right. of that. Um, and, and so one of, the, one of the filters that I think is great when it comes to helping uh, churches to think through where people can serve or get involved in, where boundaries are. Um, I, like I said, theology is just key. It's a cornerstone here. And so you never want to put somebody in a position where they have to teach or represent something that they don't believe. Mm. And so for me, that is just a very, very good uh, cornerstone as far as, um, you know, what, as far as a filter of, of what churches need to do. And so I think that's uh, readily very, very, very important. Yeah, that's good. That, that's very helpful. Um, Caleb, one of the things that, that we love to do is the community of crisis. We love to celebrate life change. Uh, can you share some stories of how you have seen God at work over the years have you, as you've ministered with the LGBTQ community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this has happened about... Um, what I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you a couple of stories, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going to tell you some unique ones. Um, this has happened about six or seven times now uh, okay. since I started uh, my ministry, the Messy Grace Group, in 2017. Basically, you have a, um, a same-sex couple that's married, usually a lesbian couple. Never had this happen with two um, married gay men yet, but a married lesbian couple that will start attending a church um, that is compassionately non-affirming, probably like many of the uh, churches represented by the people that listen to the church leaders po- podcast, you know, compassionately non-affirming. Everyone is, is welcome to come. We accept everyone, but that doesn't mean we agree with everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lesbian married couple will start attending. And then after about six months to a year, they'll talk to a staff member or an elder and they'll say, Hey, we love each other and we're, you know, married, but we now believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. What should we do? Hmm. And so you have this lesbian couple who is asking, what should we do? And, and I just think that that's fascinating. A lot of mm-hmm. times churches are like, we, we don't know what to do. A couple <laughs> of times when I've walked with churches through this, they've had two, I mean, you know, couples have have adopted young kids in the foster system. Mm. And so in that sense, it's kind of like, what do they do in that situation? There was another time I was working with a church in this large city that remained unnamed, but I was actually able to go um, and spend uh, about four hours uh, in the apartment of 
this married lesbian couple that was actually a middle-aged uh, African-American lesbian married couple who had been attending a church uh, that was compassionately non-affirming, same thing. After about six months to a year, they approached um, the elder team and they said, hey, we love each other, we're married, um, but we now believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. We think that maybe God wants us to get a divorce, but we're not sure. And they were actually terrified to get a divorce. So the elder said, can you go and spend some time with them and talk to them? And I said, sure. And so I was able to sit down with them, as I said, in their apartment. We had a long conversation and, um, you know, they started crying uh, about getting a divorce and their love for each other was so real. It was so evident, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was real emotion there. And they said, we are terrified. And I said, I, I, I could see why. And they said, no, no, you don't. And I said, well, tell me more about that, please. I, I want, I want to hear, I want to understand. And they said, one of them said, well, you see, um, I have a disability and I'm a schizophrenic. And if we get a divorce, I will lose my insurance and I will not have access to my medication for my schizophrenia. And the last time that I didn't have access to medication for my schizophrenia, I thought that I heard my friends yelling for me out in the middle of the street and I went out there yelling to try to get their attention, but I couldn't find them. Somebody calls the police officers. And before I know it, um, the police show up and I can't tell the difference between what I'm hearing in my head and what they're saying. And she said, I didn't hit the ground till one of them drew their gun. Um, and she said, I don't think that God wants me to die. Do you? Mm. And I said, well, I don't usually make a habit for speaking for the big guy, but <laughs> I can tell you that I don't think that God does. And so just right there, and, 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 and I'm not, this is not something where I'm picking on the police or anything like that. I just think it was a very, very unfortunate uh, situation of miscommunication. They had no way to know right. uh, what was going on here. And um, the fear was very, very palpable. It was real. Um, and my heart went out for them, just as I'm mm-hmm. sure yours did. Right. In that situation, in all these situations, the church's staff team and elder team uh, one or the other, they ended up walking with these individuals. And in that w- last situation, the church actually paid for her health insurance for about a year to a year and a half till she was able to find a job. Wow. Um, and so they covered that so that um, they're, they're like, hey, we are walking with you. You are family. You are not alone. And so I think it's important for churches to understand um, that as we go on, uh, in the next five years is what you mentioned, that we are going to see more and more of these types of stories. We are going to hear uh, more and more of situations where we don't know what to do and we don't know how to walk through that nuance. And I think that when we don't know what to do and we don't know how to walk through the tension of grace and truth, we need to become really good at asking questions. And we need to understand that one of the biggest mandates that even when we don't know what to do, we do know that we are supposed to walk next to people. And that's what I love about what these churches did with these, with these ladies. Yeah, that, that, that's powerful. And, and uh, it's, it helps whenever you can bring a story like that, you know, an experience, you know, and it, it's real people. And, you know, obviously our heart goes out to them. And I think that's one of the, one of the, the struggles that we have in ministry is because we have a heart for people. And so how do we help them navigate some of these, you know, very, very difficult questions, these questions that would have great repercussions, 
Um, but still honor, as you said, th- those two women had a very deep love for one another. And so how do we help them not, you know, lose that love for one another, but to express that, that love in a way that ultimately honors God. Um, and, and I think that's the, you know, that, that's one of the great challenges, I think, because we don't want to come across, you know, and none of us individually want to try to make someone else's life miserable. I mean, that's, I mean, hopefully, you know, right. Hopefully not, hopefully ministry, not. Right. So, not. so, so how do we, how do we, you know, as a pastor, as a ministry leader, how do you, in, th- in that situation, you spent four hours in their apartment, you know, hearing their story internally, you know, in your heart and in your mind, uh, as someone who loves Jesus and loves people, right? Because you love Jesus. How do you, how do you navigate that, that the emotional side of, of that, you know, processing through that love and what that love can look like, um, you know, I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. No, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, because you're right. It, it's, it's that love that in that moment, you're kind of like, well, what's wrong with this? You know what? Right. Who cares? And that kind of thing. And so that's where I think we have to keep the love God part, love God, love people. And we have mm. to keep the love God part um, in our minds and in each one of these situations and even more situations that I could share <laughs> situations I've walked through with churches where you're just kind of like, I don't know what to do with that. Here's the thing. Um, in each one of those situations, those ladies um, had not, a, you know, they, they had started coming to the church. They were happily married. They loved each other. They didn't see anything wrong with the kind of um, uh, intimate relationship or the covenant or, or the marriage relationship that they had with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, as they grew spiritually, they began to recognize um, a gap you know, Mm. between, you know, how they were living between what God said, the relationship they had between what God said, and they had arrived at this, at, you know, by the time I talked to the church about it, they had already, you know, in each situation, they'd already talked to the elders, the staff team, they had already come to this situation and they believed enough in scripture and in what God said to approach the staff or approach the elder team and to say, we don't know what to do. Mm. What do you think we should do? And so they're already on the right path and there's a temptation to rush them through it. Mm. Almost every time I sat, I sit in a table with elders or staff members in a situation like this, there's always somebody that quickly says, well, I think they should get a divorce. <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, okay, Sherlock, thank you. Um, don't know what we would do if you weren't here, but it's like, everybody's already thinking that, you know, I mean, to a degree, but it, it was a process and a journey for them to get to this point. We need to help them continue on a process and a journey. And again, God through his sovereignty has taken them this far and we've, and, and we cannot shortchange their relationship with Jesus. We cannot in any way devalue their dignity as people by trying to rush them the rest of the way. We have to be willing uh, to be uncomfortable. We have to be willing to keep in mind that they are headed down the right path. And even when there's that part of us, we're like, I don't see what the big deal is. You know, we can't forget what scripture has said. We can't forget what God has said about how we honor him. Um, you know, it may not make sense to us. It makes sense to God. 
Um, mm. I remember I was speaking for a, a student retreat one time and a bunch of students were asked, you know, were asking about sexuality and they're like, well, why is it such a big deal? You know, if, you know, I don't have, you know, if I have sex before marriage, why is that a big deal? Why is it a big deal? You know, if Carl can't be with Mark over here, you know, why does God say that that's a big deal? They love each other. Why is that a big deal? Hmm. You know, and I said, well, this right here. Yeah, but why? Well, this right here. Yeah, but why? I felt like I was talking to my kids when they were like <laughs> three or now when they're in middle school. Why? <laughs> yeah, but why? Um, and so finally, I gave them the best theological answer that I could, Jason. And here it is. Here's what I said. I don't know. <laughs> right. I said, but here's what I do know. That God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, all-sovereign. And that God can look down the corridors of time, and he can see things that we can't. Mm. And for whatever reason, God has put, like, has put barriers and guardrails <laughs> and asked us to do the same you know, around our lives. Maybe he can look down that corridor of time. Maybe he can see things that we don't. And he can say, you are headed for a train wreck. You may not see it now, but I do. And so then I asked them this question. Are you willing to follow Jesus even if you disagree with him? Hmm. We may not always understand the why. And I'm not saying the why is an important question. But in some of these situations, I don't think it's the most important question. I think questions like, am I willing to follow Jesus if I don't agree with him is important? Or mm. um, what does following Jesus require of my sexuality? I mean, I think those are, are, are incredibly, incredibly important questions. Um, and so I found that um, reframing it from God's point of view and going back to God is the most important thing. I mean, when Jesus was asked about marriage and divorce in Matthew 19, what did he do? He didn't even quote any of the modern day rabbis. No, he went to Genesis one twenty six to 28 and Genesis two twenty three. Mm -hmm. He said, let's get back and let's see what God said. And let's reframe this whole situation with God as the main perspective. Yeah, that's, that's good. Caleb. You know, it's interesting. I mean, Paul, Paul writes of the mystery of God. And sometimes we want to explain away all the mystery, you know, all the things about God that we can't, don't fully understand instead of embracing and saying, we don't have all the answers. We don't know. Um, but we need to trust, trust God in, in the midst of those things. And that's, that's a huge time of growth, right? I mean, that, that causes you to really stretch. I mean, that's what faith is. Faith is not knowing, <laughs> you know, not having all the answers, but trusting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I it think bothers, what, it bothers me that God is okay with us not knowing. Like, yeah, I want him to tell us everything. God's like, nah. Right, exactly, exactly. No, I'm not going to. You know, it's 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 interesting as you were talking through that. I was thinking about, um, you know, this idea. You know, sometimes you know, not rushing people through the journey that Jesus has them on. I, I mean, I think that's huge. And oftentimes, I, I think we take on the role of the Holy Spirit. And, and we, we try to decide when and how things need to happen for someone else's journey where, when, when God is saying, Hey, hold on, like, trust me with this. Um, I, I care more than you ever could. Right. So, exactly. um, and, and sometimes we, we, uh, try to insert ourselves in certain ways as opposed to 
you know, being people who are um, loving someone, providing guidance, walking with them, journeying with them, wrestling through those questions with them and allowing the Holy Spirit to provide the, the ultimate, you know, direction, the ultimate answers for what they need to experience um, on that journey. And, and I love the way that, that you really emphasize, and that goes back to the empathy piece, right? So you really emphasize that we're all on a journey. We all have a next step um, with, with Jesus. And so let's give Jesus room to help everyone take those next steps Yeah, instead you know, of us no, deciding what they are, right? Dude, I, I think you're so right. And I think what you said about, <clears throat> about um, us inserting ourselves, man, that's so true. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's not even just pastors and church leaders. It's everyday people, you know, mm. where they're working in a cubicle, they're working, new coworker comes, new coworker that they find out is, um, is, is gay, lesbian, um, maybe uh, they are uh, uh, non-binary, that's how they mm-hmm. relate to their gender identity, whatever that is. And it, somehow in, in most conservative Christians' minds, they're like, okay, I've got about two or three weeks, We're gonna, I got to tell them in two or three weeks, you know, what what the Bible says, because they got to right. know. <laughs> and it's kind of like, who put a timeline on it? Mm. Like, I, 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 you know, you know what I think it is? I, I think that that is nothing, but, um, but, but moral relativism. I think that it's a, it's a false sense of morality um, where we actually, they make us feel uncomfortable and we actually uh, feel like, okay, well, I, I need to make sure that God's good with me. So I got to figure out a way to tell them, that what they're doing is a mm. sin and it's like you're not doing that for them you're not doing that out of love for them you are doing that be- for yourself so mm. that you have your own sense of morality so you're like well I-, I told them it didn't go well but i was faithful to the scriptures it's like no you weren't you didn't even get to know them you- i mean right right I mean, what about paul in in first corinthians 9 when he says i've become all things to all people so i might win some you know paul took time to actually get to know people and to meet them where they were at. Paul didn't, you know, unless, you know, didn't just go up to him and just throw a grenade and run. Right. right. Um, and so I, and th- I, I think the same is true with church leaders too. Some of the times um, we, we, we feel like somehow if we do take our time, as you said, Jason, if we do take our time and walk with people and we do take the time to build that empathy, we think that somehow we're being uh, disingenuous to God. Mm. And it's like, how much time did God take with you until you yeah. <laughs> Right, right. No, that, that's a good word. Awesome. And Caleb, this has been such a such intriguing conversation. You've given us a lot to, to process, a lot to think about um, from your experience um, growing up, from your experience as a pastor yourself, from your experiences uh, consulting with other, other churches as they're uh, you know, working through this as well. What is the best way for, for our listeners, if they want to connect with you, what's the best way they can connect with you? I know you have lots of different resources. You've, you've written books on this topic and, um, and you, you have a ministry that helps churches walk through this. How can they connect with you? And we'll, we'll want to keep some of these links. We'll have these links in the show notes for our listeners. Um, but yeah, just let us know what are some resources and ways they can connect with you. Yeah, so um, there is uh, my websites, which are uh, messygracegroup.org, messygracegroup.org, calebkaltenbach.com. And I started the Messy Grace Group 
uh, where I walk with uh, schools and, and uh, ministries, but especially churches, and help them to develop systems and processes that will uh, honor their uh, theological convictions and values, but also uh, create room for LGBTQ people to attend because people find and follow Jesus better in community, not mm. in isolation. Um, so if you go to the messy, uh, sorry, so if you go to messygracegroup.org mm -hmm. or calebcaltonbach.com, you'll find out more there. Um, uh, my social media handle is Caleb Wilds, C A L E B W I L D S. A lot of people are like, why is that Wilds? Well, that's my middle name. So okay. cool. a lot of people don't know that. They're like, why, why is that Wilds? What, what are you <laughs> saying? Like, I'm saying what my middle name is, Caleb <laughs> Wilds. How many other people can say that? So right, right there. Um, and yeah, I've, I've written Messy Grace. I've written a book called God of Tomorrow. In August, I have um, Messy Truth that is releasing um, from Waterbrook Multnomah. Um, and then uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to have an ebook for sale on my websites called Messy Leadership. And I'm mm. taking a lot of how I consult with churches and some of the steps I help them take as far as assimilation, as far as um, small groups and difficult conversations, staff policies, so on and so forth. And I'm going to put that in an ebook format and sell it. So excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, so again, for our listeners, we'll have links to all that. But um, Caleb, there, there was another resource that you and I talked about offline in regard to the Equality Act. Yeah, you've been putting a lot of work into, and I think that would be something probably helpful for for pastors and churches to to get a hold of and read through. Can you talk just a little bit about that resource because it's so timely? So, yeah, absolutely. It, it's a resource. I'll warn you, it's over a hundred pages or so, um, but uh, it, it's it's for free. It'll it'll be on my website, you know, um, and people can go there and they can check it out. But basically, I wanted to create a, a resource document for churches that gave a background on the Equality Act. Like a lot of people don't know that it's been in front of Congress since 1974 hmm. in one form or another. And so that's why I say, I don't think that it's going to pass. Watch me be wrong, depending on when this is aired. <laughs> but I don't think it'll be passed in the Senate because of the filibuster, but eventually it will be, I think. And pieces of the legislation can be found elsewhere, uh, maybe in future legislation. And that's not to say that certain states won't have similar state legislation that will come up. And so churches really need to learn um, how to think about this. So I have uh, court cases that are similar in there. I help churches uh, through like some suggested next steps, like reviewing uh, membership requirements, making sure that they're up to date on ministerial exemption, um, equal opportunity, employment, and what that means. Um, you know, and I have a whole huge section in there about not changing your theological values. And again, I'm not writing any of this from a place of fear. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm writing this from a place of we need to be intentional about the culture we live in. Just like Jesus preached the same gospel one way to Nicodemus and another way to the woman at the well. Just like Paul preached one way to Sanhedrin, another way to the Stoic and Epicurean philosophers. Mm -hmm. We need to be intentional about the context in which we live. And that's why I wrote this. I want um, the church, as Jesus said, I want it to be, you know, as uh, strategic or cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves. That's good. Awesome resource, Caleb. So we'll have a link to that as well. Um, so appreciate everything that uh, you shared with us today and all that you're doing for the kingdom. Um, thank you for your 
experience and for taking that your experiences and sharing that wisdom, those things that you've learned, those things that you're still learning um, with, with the church. Super important conversation. And just again, thankful that you took the time to be with us today. Man, th- thanks for having me again. I'll talk to you soon, bro. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. You don't want to miss out on the full discussion. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our interviews. We'd appreciate it if you could take just a few moments to let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform or sending an email to podcast at churchleaders.com. Your positive reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.